that's what football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson, and special guest JT O'Sullivan joining us. We'll get to JT in just a minute, but first, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affor- affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, things like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right. JT, welcome to the show. Mr. QB School. How's it going, man? What's up, fellas? That was an impressive read. Man, that got me nervous. You were pumping through that thing. <laughs> Thank you. JT thought he's coming on to talk QBs and, in fact, gets uh, you know financial family planning advice. Yeah, so you're going to hopefully sign up for that as well. Go to Fabric. Um, apologize for that. It felt rude, you know, leaving our guest here. But, um, man, it's, it's, uh, it's great to have you on here. You're really taking off recently, just cranking out videos and growing that YouTube channel, yeah? Oh, I appreciate the kind words, fellas. I've always enjoyed your stuff, so it's fun to come on here and talk some ball at a you know a somewhat high level we'll see how this thing goes where i can take it but probably downwards <laughs> no i think you're going to be the high level it, guy yeah, yeah. you're going to be dumbing it down for us i think that's how this is going to work so um let's start like I, I love talking a little bit of process and the history here how'd you get started with qb school you've got the term the uh, the internet's qb coach kind of like that how did you get started with this and then i want to talk a little bit about your process and what you're doing on a weekly basis yeah uh i Originally got started with this. Basically, I was done with playing and took like a football sabbatical, went back to school, went back to grad school. And when I was done with that, I realized, oh, I got all this time on my hands. Do I want to get back into football? Originally, I always thought I was going to coach and I just kept playing. Really, that's honestly the truth of it. And so when I kept playing, I saw the lifestyle that those guys had and realized that's not for me. <laughs> and I just moved yeah. around enough. And so that kind of wasn't an option. And so just trying to figure out do I still like football? How how and where can I fit in? I didn't want to do the traditional like legacy broadcasting at all. I didn't think I was necessarily you know a big enough name to walk into a, a good role to begin with. But that's very similar to playing, in my opinion. There's always somebody retiring. There's always somebody doing it next, a uh, younger guy. And so I just was looking for something different. My brother was in the podcast game and said if he was going to start a, a podcast now, he'd start a YouTube channel. He thought that my little sector felt well into the visual medium. And so it just kind of grew and I basically gave myself a year to say, hey, you know, is this something that you like? And I ended up being just kind of like the perfect sweet spot for me where I get to do enough football, have a little bit of freedom, do anything that I think is interesting. And and it's kind of, you know, continues to grow and there's a, you know, a little niche group that really likes it. So 
it's been kind of that perfect kind of uh, combination of time and uh, availability. Man, I think I don't think people tend to think about that idea, the lifestyle from a coaching point of view. If you have kids, you know, I mean, if maybe if you if you do that anyway, fair enough. But if you're if you've had a relative uh, run of stability and you have kids, and then you're now talking about subscribing to this world where every year you could be in a new city, a new place, uproot the whole family, start over. It sounds like a nightmare. Like maybe eventually it'll be worth it when you get the, you know, the millions at the end of it and you're the head coach and whatever, but poof, that sounds rough. Yeah. And I got some good advice from, I had a lot of good coaches when I was playing. And so I had a number of guys that I really respected in the industry basically say, Hey, if you're thinking about doing this, only do this if you have to do it. Like you have to. And so I just, you know, I think it would be fun. I miss the competitive element of it. I really do. I, I miss the, that part of it. I think at the highest level is something that's really hard to replicate in any sector. Uh, but beyond for that, man, I just feel bad for those guys moving at the end of every year. You know, you got even if you're not even if you're not getting fired, yeah. you're trying to move up. You yeah. know, it's it's just a nonstop ladder up and down, and so it's just a it's not for me. And that's you know this thing has been you know nobody's got a better commute than I do, so it's one of those <laughs> things where. I, so I was. Sweet. I thought I was going to be a baseball coach after my career as well, and then stumbled into PFF and uh, turned down the Houston Astros one year too. You know, to be here with you, Sam. Hmm. So, what do you think of that? Could have been grinded in in the minors even further as a coach. Uh, JT, as far as like, what's your process look like on a weekly basis? Because you're going, you're pulling out, you know, the most compelling plays for say a Justin Fields game or a Jordan Love game. Are you watching the film ahead of time? Are you doing this on the fly? What's your process look like when you're when you're going through a game? Uh, it starts with really casual weekends, to be honest with you. I feel like I've actually watched more football recently uh, on the weekends. But normally I just kind of like I've got enough of a social media presence now where people will kind of unsolicited tell me what they want to see all the time. And so right. I can get a kind of a feeling of where the interest will be. And I certainly have a more impactful fan base is in my little sphere and so i will try to get to those videos early in the week i don't necessarily watch them on sunday i'll watch them on as soon as i get the film kind of crank out what i think are the most interesting plays you know it, it really depends you know sometimes and i catch myself because usually i'm in this room kind of talking to myself you know i'll be like feel like i'm like man I'm, that's a really interesting run play that i think is interesting but most of the people that watch my videos don't really care about so I had like have to find the sweet spot of what's interesting, what's relative, you know, what I think people actually want to watch. But really, I just watch whatever film I think would be interesting, pull the clips that I think are interesting, try to pull a little bit of a unique perspective as far as the playing, the coaching, you know, the ball at that level, and then just try to make sense of it and kind of interweave, you know, what that one performance was in whatever week it was and try to keep that kind of perspective at it at the same time. Are you using, um, you know, Game Pass or NFL Plus or whatever it's now called, or have you got like your own? I've always we'll wondered if there's some kind of called. legacy. No, no, I, I definitely have my own process. You know, it's one of those like, uh, what's like the nicest way to put it? Like, you know, it's kind of like Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was always wondering. You we're got... we're in Fight Club here too, JT. So we're not allowed to say certain things, right? We, you know, yeah, we're probably we might be in the same club. For yeah, for all I know, I don't Let's ask. Let's talk about club. it off don't air. Don't ask. Of course. We don't ask questions. Nobody asks questions. We just all take it as take it as read. Well, that, yeah. that was one of the things I was curious because you mentioned like you do you actually watch the run game? You know, are you are you watching a game from start to finish and say this was 
the Chicago Bears game plan. I've got a feel for the game, start to finish, what they were trying to do, and then going back and then like re-recording the clips and what you what you found compelling. So when I watch it the first time, I definitely watch it and try to take it all in from the run game part of it. I'm I'm just I really really enjoy the run game, and that's yeah. probably from being a recovering high school football coach and just realizing that's where so much of those games are won and lost. And I like the line of scrimmage. I really enjoyed. I thought that when I was playing, the biggest leaps I made from my mentally ability to process and play quick came from a better understanding of pass protection. And so when I kind of universally understood pass protection and could apply it to every system, I thought it gave me a huge advantage when I was playing to be able to learn a system quickly and play at a high level at the line of scrimmage. And so I'm always looking at the line of scrimmage. And then ever since I coached for a few years at the high school level, I love the run game. I think it's, and when you marry it with the RPO world that is today, you know, there's just, it's a lot of nuance, a lot of detail in there when it's done well. But you, I don't, I watch it. And I usually do those run game centric kind of stuff on more of like the Patreon stuff where it really is the full game. And you're kind of, it's basically like me and you are sitting in the quarterback meeting room and we'll go through the, every single snap, every single position. When you go through and you're watching quarterbacks, um, what's the first thing you're trying to get any handle on? Let's say you're going to a guy you've never seen before, a college prospect, say. Um, and we all do this every single year when it gets to the draft. Like, here's this guy. Maybe we've never seen him before at all. What's the first thing you're looking to evaluate, to get a handle on, to get an idea of what he's good at um, and, and work from there? Uh, I probably default to, like, barriers to entry. You know, I, I think that there are some elements of, you know, I think the size thing has been diminished, but for a long time, uh, size, athletic ability, you know, some level of arm strength. I know some people, depending on who you talk to, will say, you know, the arm strength can be significantly improved. It's one of those things at some point, you know, you, you either can make all the throws or you can't. I think that there are elements of it that can certainly be improved. But, you know, those types of things that just won't allow you to play, you know, if you're throwing only change-ups, you know, it's really hard to play in the league. It really is. You know, and there are guys who have done it, but it's really hard to do it, especially nowadays. And so those barriers to entry. But from there, I probably flip to the other side and look to what are the things that make this cat special? You know, what are the things that are going to make them a difference maker on Sundays? And those are the guys that I really like watching, like, you know, everybody who likes to see the things, the big plays, the big throws, the plays out of structure, the creative elements that are hard to that you could say. He could do that in any system. That's not system dependent. That's him being a great athlete, a great competitor, a great quarterback, rising to the moment, those types of things that I that I look for. All right, let's talk system stuff then because I, to me, this is what I always describe about fans and just you know watching football. We see a quarterback stat line, completions, attempts, yards, touchdowns, interceptions. Common stat line, you see it all the time. And it paints a picture in our brain, right? 300 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, must have played well, whatever it might be. And so at PFF for years, we're like, well, you know, he had a dropped deep ball, therefore we give him credit. And he had a dropped interception, therefore we deduct. And the stat line isn't really true. How, how, how do you look at that? Not so much the stat line, but you're going through a game. How much impact do you think the quarterback has on, on his stat line versus system? Uh, two is playing great right now, but he also has, right, all these other things working for him. How do you separate those things when you're just going through a game, evaluating players? You know, what, what's your thought process in separating the quarterback from his environment? Um, I think it's hard. 
I think you you write on it. You guys were obviously the front edge of that stuff. Like I even use terms I feel like default that came from y'all about like turnover worthy plays. Thank you. Know, you. Are, hold, on, hold on. Sorry. So we we have to pause right here. We got to pause the show for one uh, second here oh because Sam has claimed he hates the name. He doesn't like turnover worthy play. What do you and like? What do you want to call it? I came up with. It. I came up with turnover worthy oh, play. I use it. I feel like I use it at least a couple times. A I've week. I've heard it a few times. I appreciate it, JT. Thank you so much. For validating, what do you want to call it? I'm open. I'm open for the for a dialogue. We can. I, I can mean, change it when I what I. No, no, it's correct. It's it's the correct term. It's just Sam over here. You know, he was making, mouthful, he's been making like, fun of me for about ten years, and I just I feel validated that the internet's QB coach is using turnover worthy play. So it's like um, it's like you know, missed tackles forced, right? It's technically correct, but it's clunkier than just broken <laughs> tackles. So turnover-worthy plays is technically more correct, but it's way clunkier than interceptable. Oh, see now, see, now you're referencing the other Irish guy. I'm just saying he might have done one good thing in his life, and that was it. But he's got fumble. You're missing fumbles, though. You have to have fumbles in I know. there. It's turnover-worthy. I'm sorry, JT, that was really rude of me to interrupt <laughs> no, you, but I had to take a quick victory lap because I have heard you use turnover-worthy play. Well, I'm going to use interceptable now. Too. Yeah, there we go. No, I like no. it. I'll, knows. I'll, I'll be like little our little inside joke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, I mean, those things, they, they aren't told in the stat line. And you're right. I, I think the other thing that comes from it, just from the little bit of calling plays, is you can manufacture touchdowns. You know, just like, like Tua this week. You know, those are, it's really cool to have a no look shovel pass, but it's a shovel pass, dog. Yeah. Like, and you, you know, and for a long time, you know, I always think of like Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, them running, you know, power shovel, essentially, you know, just power read where he's getting the touchdown pass off of it, which is cool. It's a great play. I'm not mad at you, but it's not the same as, you know, ripping a fade, you know, 40 yards. There's a difference. And so that impact on the play is just different. I, I personally am also someone who's a recovering, you know, athlete and I've, Still jealous of guys in college that I know were spinning it, throwing screens all over the place, and had an amazing completion percentage while I'm back there, you know, on third and 15, trying to find <laughs> anybody open, running for my life. It's just different. Yep. And so I, I think it, it matters. I'm not the way that I make sense of it, I think is different for different levels. So if I'm trying to evaluate someone as they project to a Sunday, I think it's a little bit easier to make sense of those things because you're already placing them at a different level in a different system. You you have to kind of make use that mental model of, hey, could this be applicable at the league level for whatever you want to you know make sense of that. I think when you're at the league in the league, you know there's a chance that that guy's only in that system. You know, so how you make sense of Brock Purdy, how you make sense of Tua, and what those stat lines you know, do you pen you don't necessarily penalize a guy for being where he is in the system that he's at. Although we've already seen two in different systems, and it doesn't look the same, right? And so, you know, making sense of that is is part of you know what this is all about and having fun with it. But yeah, it it is tough. It's not easy to do for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the sixty four million dollar question we're all grappling with every week, right? Is trying to figure out how much of the credit pie goes to the quarterback, how much goes to the coach, how much goes to the offensive line, to his receivers, and all of it gets put together, and you try and come up with explanations. Let's talk about the Brock Purdy thing a little bit because he's I think one of the best examples of that and and in this world that we're in at the moment there's only ever black or white right there's no middle ground there's no nuance to any of the discussion and obviously the answer is always somewhere in the middle in the nuance um, it isn't as simple as Kyle Shanahan 
is creating Brock Purdy, and there's nothing there except this puppet for Kyle Shanahan to move the strings of. Equally, it's not true that Brock Purdy is playing as well as, you know, an undefeated regular season record and insane numbers, you know, top to bottom. What is your evaluation of that, that dynamic, the Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan thing? Uh, I mean, I, I think you do a, a good job of framing it there. It's definitely somewhere in the middle. I, I would say that the thing I think people don't quite get or might not want to give Brock Purdy the respect that he deserves is he really has been kind of out of this world, in my opinion, for the amount of experience he has at the league, for how well he is playing. And that's for anybody. If you if you stick a 10-year vet in there as a backup to go in there and do what he's done, it would be spectacular. So for it to be him and that situation and where he got drafted, all that, it's crazy. It really is crazy. And he's, you layer that with, I think he's probably a better athlete than people think. You know, maybe people know if you dig into the numbers and you saw like the 10-yard split and those types of things. But like he really can create a little bit. And he's been a little bit more of that than I think that they're used to at that position. So it's added to him. Now you add in what I would say are maybe the bounces going your way, you know, on some of these tip balls or or those types of things. And at some point you're going to get some regression to the mean with that type of stuff, in my opinion. You know, you're just not always going to get every tip go to your wide receiver. You're going to have turnovers. You're going to have things not go your way. But man, the way that Kyle calls those games, those plays, the weapons that they have on the perimeter, how he understands, it looks like Brock Purdy has a great understanding of his strengths. It really does. I, I I think he throws that intermediate ball, that quick game stuff, as well as anybody at that age. But you know, you I think anybody who turns on the film can see the deficiencies on some of the balls that go down the field. And again, in week two or week three, when you miss a number of balls that go down the field and you win, it's no big deal. Yeah. But when you do that on the national stage in January, it's a problem and it follows you forever. Just ask Jimmy. Yeah. You know, those types of things follow you. And so, you know. What it is right now, it's a great story. It continues to be a great story. Will it be, you know, at the end of the year, can he stay healthy? All those types of things play into it. But, man, I, I don't think you can overstate how impressive it's been either. So it, I, I agree with so much of that because, again, I, th I think what I want to push back against is, like, the graphic that compares Brock Purdy and Joe Montana, right? <laughs> and it's like, all right, it's not he's not Joe Montana. But you're right. I mean, as a seventh round, Mr. Irrelevant, to come in – run the system, you know, his blitz recognition against the Giants the other night. I don't, I don't think it was Brock's cleanest game, but like the, the challenging aspect of going up against a million blitz packages and generally making the right decision for, again, for a seventh rounder is very impressive. Um, do you, th where do you rank, would you rank Kyle Shanahan as a play caller? I mean, there's really not a lot of play callers around the NFL that have had that level of success going back to, you know, 10, 15 years for Kyle Shanahan and everything that he's been a part of. How do you separate, not so much separate that, but he's so good, had so much success with various quarterbacks. At the same time, we didn't see Trey Lance have that same success. So I don't, I don't think it's like throw anybody into the system. It has to be a guy that fits the system. But once you get him, maybe you're going to elevate a Brock Purdy more than someone else is going to. Is that a, a fair assessment? I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about. I, I, I almost think of it from the other side. I, I think Brock potentially could elevate it more than it has been. I think up until this point, Kyle has shown that he is, has a formula, a pattern, a way to call offense that can be successful with damn near anybody who does it his way yeah. in an offensive system on Sundays. But has it been what you look across the landscape of the league 
the best in the biggest moments. And for whatever reason, it hasn't been. And for me, that's always been because there are these seemingly intentional constraints on the quarterback position. So whether that's their guy hasn't had the capacity to be creative at a structure or they haven't, you know, it hasn't been baked into the DNA of what that offense is. I think Brock can do a little bit more of that than anybody else that he's had recently. And so if he can find a way to create the, the flexum and the freedom that you see other guys at the highest level play with in big moments and elevate when you're behind, when you need a drive, those types of things just haven't been there. There's nobody better over the course of a regular season and, you know, scheming people up, scheming people, popping people open, those types of things. And they've got weapons, but man, for whatever reason, and I would add on that, and then this is just my issue with their drop back game for a long time to me has been behind the curve. When you look across the landscape of the league about what other teams are doing, whether it be schematically, whether it be with formations reads, how they, they come across to me as very pure progression, as opposed to read the coverage, take advantage of the entire width and vertical elements of the field as opposed to, hey, the read is one, two, three. If you can count to three, you can play for me. Those types of things that feel like those are baked into that system as opposed to, you know, you would never see like the video that that I saw yesterday with Kelsey scoring his touchdown over the weekend where he just like does his own thing and like Pat Patrick sees it and throws it. Like, could you imagine that conversation like on the 49er sideline? Like, I couldn't. Like, I, I don't know. It would be hilarious. Like, and they, you know, not that you want to go to that extreme. That's the other, that's the full other extreme. But somewhere in the middle might allow you to be more dynamic in bigger moments when you have to move the ball, when you can't just run it and play action and pop people open. But that comment, that's why I think that Brock Purdy is sort of unusually successful within this offense relative to his strengths and weaknesses, because I think where he's, where he's been really, really good is the exact moments where that offense and that system runs out of answers, right? His ability to create and to create and to do a few things that Jimmy G has never really been able to do, and none of the other quarterbacks that have been in that system had that as a strength. His ability to do that kicks in right at the moment where Shanahan's play broke down or it didn't work or the defense had an answer. So they're, I think, together. Like, the sum of the parts is greater than either one of them on their own, which is why I think it's looking so good right now, because they're a perfect complement for each other. Yeah, I I mean, I totally 100% agree. I I think the other thing, you know, I always think back to, you know, that RG3 Shanahan experiment in Washington when you saw him really kind of adapt what he was doing, what they were doing West Coast to be able to run the quarterback. And it always felt like he was trying to get back to that a little bit with – reaching for the Trey Lance experiment, you know, that kind of like dual threat. Mm -hmm. And it's not that Brock Purdy is like a dual guy, but he's got the capacity to create. He's got the capacity to get you a first down when things break down. He's got the capacity to move around a little bit. And I think that those elements, you know, certainly kind of give that offense just that extra little nudge that you're talking about that, you know, it looks great. It's hard because we're in this, right? But it's week three. You know, it's it's one of those things where, hey, man, we got to stay healthy, dog. Like we got to find a way to protect that position, and then we've got to be able to do it when we need to, when we're down ten points, when we're down in that final drive, to be able to do those types of plays and make it happen. So we'll see. I want to talk about some other QBs, but just like Mike, this might sound like a ridiculous question with Kyle Shanahan, but what makes him great? What makes a play caller great? Um, I think we've theorized on the show here that there might be four, like, just like there might be four or five great quarterbacks at any given time, there might be four or five great play callers at, at any given time. What 
Why can't the rest of the league replicate a Kyle Shanahan or, say, a Mike McDaniel? What what separates a great play caller from, say, everyone else? Ooh. Uh, I think it's a combination of a number of different traits. I, I think uh, the initial thing is just the ability to and, – and I can't tell you how many guys I was around that didn't have this capacity – but the ability to put your best players in the most successful opportunity, in the most successful position to be their best version of themselves all the time. And so as opposed to fit you into my scheme, you run route like we do here, a, <laughs> what do you do well? How can we put you in more situations to do that? And who are our best players? Like, do, can we use multiple personnels? What, you know, how are we scheming? How are we moving, using... Uh, different. I always think in when I think scheme, I think in flanks. So, like, what is the flank of the offense? Is there? Is it a nub? Is it a one wide receiver? Is it a wing? Is it a tight end? Is it a two by two? Is it a three by one? Is it a quad? Is it a bunch? You know, those types of things. How are we using flanks to be able to gain leverage? And then how are we? And this is the part that I think is is the fun part. Is how are we layering our plan so everything builds on itself? You know, forever people have said Kyle Shanahan's as good as anybody about marrying the play action with the run game. They probably have more play action pass protections than damn near anybody in the history of football. You know, they they really have every run has a different play action. And so how you do that to then be able to create shots and how you pop people open. Those types of things to me are always when you're popping people open in the league and there's no one around you in the screen, you know, that's great play calling. And then you have to have kind of the audacity to make those calls when it matters most when they don't think you're going to do that. And so it's always like that counterintuitive. What do they think we're going to do? What are we going to do? What are we shown? What are we what are we ready to run? You know, all those things layered together. I, I just think it's it's one of my favorite things to see. I would probably push back and say there are more than four or five good play callers in the league. Some of them might be head coaches, not calling plays, but it's it's one of those things. And it's and it's harder on the defensive side, in my opinion, to get kind of a flavor of those types of guys. But it's a and the other part that I would add to this, sorry, Keep going. is the in game adjustments. Yeah. So the in-game adjustments, which is really hard to kind of get a flavor on unless you're in, unless you're on the sideline or in the halftime meeting room, but the ability to not have to watch the film to say, oh, damn, they're doing this, let's do this, or to get to this, or to get to something that we haven't practiced. Say we practice it in camp, and we can make this adjustment on the sideline that then hits for a big play. Those types of things, for me, separate play callers from you know just coaches. You're... Um... Your NFL playing career skews to the Josh McCown, Josh Johnson end of the spectrum in terms of you were in a lot of different places. Um, I'm curious, who is the best quarterback that you were like personally around, and does that influence how you see the game now? Uh, I spent a little bit of time around Brady for a couple weeks on the practice squad, and then I was with Favre for a year. And I mean, I don't know if I, I tried to take a little something from all of those guys. You know, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how much I could possibly take from Brett other than like being a storyteller, <laughs> you know, but there are, there are definitely, I tried to hijack things from everyone. You know, I, I don't know if there were necessarily anything that I watched Brett do other than, you know, there was nothing he did throwing the ball that I was going to try to replicate. Right. Like I just, he, he, it was different. It came off his hand different than it comes off my hand. And so, but there were ways that I, definitely hijacked how he interacted, how he prepared, how he practiced, you know, things like that. And I did that with everybody. It didn't matter if you were Tom Brady or Brad Johnson or Aaron Brooks or Jake DeLome or all these guys that I played with. So, yeah, I got really fortunate to play with a lot of guys who, and I, I tried to do that even with coaches that I respected and looked up to as teachers. 
All right, so I, it, it's tough to not notice when you go to the QB School channel and you see the video length and you see summer 20 and summer 30 minutes, but you have dedicated hours upon hours to the Chicago Bears and Justin Fields. And they're definitely some of the most watched, I'm sure, um, but most entertaining videos. And, and what I like when you're breaking things down is it's not just like quarterback's terrible, this is bad. It's like what's going on with the ski. Some plays when you're watching the Bears – I don't know what they're doing schematically, or I don't know what Fields is seeing. So it's not like all the coaching's terrible or all the quarterback plays terrible. But with Chicago, it is an incredible combination of both, I think, to this point, right? This play's open, Fields isn't seeing it. This play has no chance. Break it down, man. What's going on with Fields and the Bears? And what have you seen with your, you know, 15 hours of three week video, three weeks worth of video here? I mean, I am comfortable saying I've watched every snap multiple times. Uh, I, I think you do a good job of summing it up. It's it's all it's all of the above, man. Uh, it really is. I think the most frustrating thing for me as just a fan of Justin Fields is you saw glimpses of how you could what he could do last year, and so I think everybody thought they were going to build on that as opposed to trying to fix it or reset it. It just it's not intuitive. Like it doesn't make sense. It it almost feels like they didn't have an off season, and so it. it that part of it is makes it more confusing. And then when you turn on the film and you just see so many mistakes. And, uh, you know, I think it's hard to blame. You can certainly blame the scheme when you see guys standing next to each other or people missing blocks or, you know, things that just don't make sense that would never win at any level of football. But everyone out there, you can't have, you know, whatever, 20 plays and a half and have 15 of them have a mental error or someone making a significant mistake and be successful at any level of football. But for the Justin Fields thing, you know, there's there's something that the easiest way that I can say it, and this is coming from someone who is a who has liked Justin Fields for a long time as a player, uh, there's something with his vision where he either doesn't trust it or doesn't see it. And so, you know, you can only turn on the film and show his head pointed somewhere and see someone open and say, hey, you have to throw this now, now. Now, you know, there are multiple hitches where this is open. And for whatever reason, he's not. He's either being told, hey, we're not going to take any chances with the ball, or he's not seeing it. it. Like, it's not making sense. Or the wide receiver's screwing him. He's not at the right depth. You know, there are so many little things that can go into it. But when you see multiple clips like that, you, you don't see anybody else in the league with that many turndowns. I mean, you see guys missing throws every once in a while. And I'm not even talking about the ones that, like, go viral. I think some of those were a little bit more muddy. I'm talking about just, like, the innocuous, like, wide-open slant to start a game. You have to throw that ball, dog. You have to. Like, it's the first play of the game. Like, throw it. Like, it's, it, you know, like, it's crazy to me. And so, I, obviously, something's not making sense. You know, they they can't keep going with the way it is. I, I don't think there are any easy answers. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure that there are going to be any easier answers, you know, anytime soon. That that analysis, that sort of either-or, was basically what we were saying, I think, last week. Like, that's that's what's happening. He's either not reading it correctly or he's reading it and doesn't trust himself enough to pull the trigger and put the ball in the air. Either one is bad. Do you have an inclination? If you were guessing, which is it? Is he not seeing it or is he not – does he see it fine, but he's just paralyzed by whatever, the coaching, the, the information, the whatever, overload in his head? I mean uh – if I if I had to put it on like a like a which way it's leaning, yeah, you know, I, I would say it's a combination of he looks so just a shell of himself as far as the confidence to be able to rip it that that's not going to give you a chance. 
But I really do think, like, if I'm trying to, like, make sense of the quarterback play only, he looks like he's having issues seeing what's happening. And that can be a trust thing, like, oh, I don't, I, I'm not sure for sure what's happening. Or it can be the way that they're coaching him. Like, hey, dog, sometimes I was around coaches that were like, hey, verse quarters, uh, we're going to rip that dagger no matter what. Like, there is no read. You take seven steps, you take a hitch, and you throw it. And if it's a pick, it's on me. And there's a an element of freedom to play quarterback like that. Like, hey, yeah, like he's got my back. Like, I know it's going to be, you know, he's going he's gonna to take the rap if this isn't there. Well, it looks like that's not the case at all. I mean, there's just, there's no sort of trust. There's no sort of, you know, ability for Justin to just get back there and let it rip, ever. And I think you couple that with the fact that there's not a lot of space out there. The guys aren't winning. You know, yeah. we're not missing a whole lot of, like, guys who are, you know, gapping people at the line of scrimmage. So it's it's a combination of all those things, and it's just it's just an absolute, you know, essentially, like, downward spiral right now. Kind of two questions here, though, but, like, at, at Ohio State, it wasn't like he was, you know, getting it out of his hands quickly or e- either, right? I mean, they had longer developing routes. And I thought when he had the and he had you know, nice pockets to work with, but he was accurate in college. I thought he was college accurate, whatever you want to call that. And I think one of the things I've had to rethink a ton over the last few years, I thought Justin Fields and Baker Mayfield looked really accurate in college. I thought guys like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen looked inaccurate in college, and those things have flipped at the NFL level. So I guess like two questions here: How much is Fields? Similar to what he was in college, and then it's just getting, you know, maybe worse with the whole situation in Chicago. And then the whole accuracy thing, is that is that an overrated term because it is dependent on confidence and footwork, and, and you can actually scheme players a little bit to be more accurate? Have we seen that the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely something. I, I, would, I would agree with you on the Justin Fields thing in college. I thought he was very accurate college football player and yeah. then, and you have to put the caveats of what he was that that you're at Ohio State and who you're throwing to and who's blocking for you and all those types of things even with those caveats to me when I think back to Justin Fields in in at Ohio State he's ripping like crossers he's ripping deep posts you just don't see the Bears even calling those like right. he's not throwing those he's throwing like never in history ball go balls down the sideline like you know those are always going to be tough throws in the league and so Taking advantage of that skill set for Justin Fields has just seemed like a blind spot for the Bears. Like they have to know this too, right? Like in their building to create those play action opportunities. And you saw them try to create play action opportunities. But when you're keeping eight people in and you're only getting two people deep, and those two people are not creating any sort of separation, it's tough. It's not the same as running the air raid in the Big Ten. And so trying to make sense of what that looks like, you know, has, has been tough. It just felt like for Justin Fields, the thing that that the overcorrection was, hey, I'm going to stay in the pocket. And whether he made that determination or they told him, like, hey, you know, yeah, you hold on to the ball, but sometimes you can go create. You can go backwards. You can get out of the pocket and keep your eyes down the field. You can get vertical. The thing I think he does with his legs better than anyone, and this is including Lamar Jackson, is get vertical. The vertical acceleration is unlike anyone else. And so just to have the freedom to say, hey, dog, on this play, it's one and run. Like it's one and run, yeah. and I mean, you know, that's not a that's not like a new thing. I mean, there's high school coaches all across the country that are going, yeah, that's our whole offense is one and run. It's an automatic, and so 10 it doesn't have to be like that all the time. Yeah, because like, that could be an automatic ten to fifteen yards for Justin Fields, and you can and you get into that. a rhythm. There's there's an element back to the play caller thing of hey, you, you got to like see the ball go through the bucket, you know, and you get a couple completions. And I know they tried to do that in the screen game. 
But the screen game for Justin Fields feels harder than it is for other people because it is a little bit of a longer motion. It, it, it just doesn't come off of his hand as quickly as you see other guys in that RPO, SRO world who can operate kind of just those quick throws all the time. <clears throat> Everything is just a little bit longer. Everything's a little bit more forced, and it creates issues on the perimeter with the blocking. And then when your wide receivers don't block, that's a whole different issue. But it's, a, it's just nothing easy. Just is the, That's the part that's so crazy to me. Like the easy part, if you're calling plays for Justin Fields, for me would be, hey, Doug, we are going to run you. Like we are <laughs> right. going to get you going. And once you get into a rhythm, then we'll get you some completions. We'll get those things going and we'll feel like we're moving the chains because right now it just feels like everything is tough. The other part I should say to that is you go back and watch that game versus the Chiefs, they have a much more robust quarterback run game. They really do, but they're not on the field. And they right. only call one of each all the time. Like, just keep give you know, like get it, get the rhythm part of it going for the quarterback position. It's so bizarre. Their coaching slash play calling slash scheme. It's kind of like you know, if you ever <laughs> if your computer crashes or whatever, and you lose a period of documentation, you just lost the last twenty four hours of work. It's like they the, the thing crashed and they lost all of last year's information. Right? <laughs> we learned how to use Justin Fields last year. It took six or seven weeks, but we figured it out. And then the system <laughs> crashed, and we lost it all, we and lost, we're starting over first. as if it's 2022 week one again. Well, listen, because, JT, you mentioned the 2012 RG3 year, and that was when Kyle Shanahan said, we're going we're gonna to run RG3, run his college offense, and make some adjustments and take the league by storm. But in 2013, the, the rumblings around Washington were that RG3 wanted to be more of a pocket passer and, stay, and be protected and not run as much, even though that was a huge part of his success. I just – I. I wonder how much of that might be creeping into Chicago. Is that, but is that a Fields thing? Is that a scheme thing? We want to keep him healthy. We want to develop him as a passer. I, I don't know what's happening, but there's a lot of questions there. Yeah, and I mean, I think those are all fair questions that the local that they need to be asking Justin. And I mean, you you don't you're not looking for him to like bus drive people like it came off last week, right? But there is some level of like, like what do you want this position to be justin like and i'm sure they're having those conversations about like hey what are you comfortable throwing how can we get you in a position to do this but at some point you got to you have to allow him to be the best version of himself and that's the part i think i get the most frustrated about just from being a fan of the position is he doesn't look like he's anywhere close to the best version of himself and so that's the part the coaching part where i feel like it's just an unequivocal failure you know like that's you, you can make sense. You, we can have conversations about the scheme, the play calling, the other errors, the personnel. But like at the end of the day, as a coach, your role to get the absolute best out of that, out of your position group, your unit, your player, whoever's playing and have them play at their absolute peak on Sunday. I mean, no one can look at Justin and say he's playing at his best right now. Right. And so it's just a bummer. It feels like generally the NFL or coaches in the NFL have gotten better in the last, I don't know, 20 years at adapting what they do to the individual players that they have in the system and, and tweaking it slightly rather than just plugging Michael Vick into a West Coast offense and saying every now and again you can you know scramble or run a bootleg but basically you're running what Joe Montana ran and good luck with it um, like now I think we're better than that Fields I think is being let down by that but how how much of that goes on even when we're sort of not aware it's happening. Like, how much is this Mike McDaniel offense adapting around Tua, who is, you know, an unusual type of quarterback in terms of uh, what he does well, what he doesn't do well. He's got a very specific skill set, and right now it's absolutely cooking on gas, that combination. 
Well, I think the dolphins are, are a really cool case study where you can see the idea of what Mike McDaniel values. And to me, he values speed. You know, he essentially is a collector of speed. Yes. And so when you put that on full display with the way that they're scheming up and using, to your point, Tua's unique skill set to take advantage of that, it's like this new secret sauce that no one's ever thought of. And it, it's, it's really fun to watch. And it's taken the league by storm for three weeks. You know, now will it last? Will it travel? Will it, you know, be able to do that in bad weather? We'll all find out together. But it's sure as hell fun to watch. But it, it's a perfect, for me, a nice uh, idea, picture of what it looks like when you get all the ingredients that you want to cook your special stew. Like you value speed. Let's go get every single fast person we can in the league. <laughs> Al Davis, man. Them. And then, you know, it's just really, it's it's fascinating to see. It's I really, I love watching. I, I would turn on their film every single week just to see the new wrinkles that they use. How would you describe some of those wrinkles? I mean, we see, I was making a joke the other day, they have Tyreek Hill lined up at tight end. You know, when it, when you used to do that in Madden, it was a cheat. It was like it broke the game of Madden when you put a wide receiver at tight end and people would get mad at you. Like if you play it online, it's like, oh, you're cheating. You know, you're cheesing the game. And it's like Mike McDaniel's using Madden cheat codes in real life by moving Tyreek Hill around and using short motion opposite of what you normally do. What are some of those wrinkles that you're seeing that Miami's taking advantage of? Well, I mean, that short motion that you're talking about, that that should be and already is. A, it's, people have already used it just already in the NFL season. They've hijacked it or tried to hijack yeah. it. But it will be across all levels of football. There are people practicing that tonight for Pop Warner, trying to get that in. And the thing, when you look across the other people in the league, like I saw the Niners use it this past weekend, Green Bay used it this past weekend, but when they don't have Tyreek Hill doing it. Yeah. So it doesn't look right. the same. When you have your backup tight end doing it, it's not the same. Now, it's not always Tyreek Hill, but it's that idea of pure speed. And they, the thing that I love with McDaniel is he has got those guys believing. They are going 1,000 miles an hour in that motion. You look across, just just... Close your eyes the next time you're watching a game. Open them up and say, how hard is this guy running in this on this motion? Is he going 1,000 miles an hour? Because he's not. And part of that is coaching. It's the accountability. It's the demand. It's, it's him teaching, hey, the reason we're doing this is not so you get more steps or we run you into the ground. It's because this is your skill set for our team. We need you to go 100 miles an hour to be able to create this space to then get you all these touches and then to open other people up. And it's just fascinating to see, man. It's, it's it's really cool. It's also like it's a much easier sell to the wide receiver to be like, hey, sprint your guts out for five yards rather than you. I need you to move 25 yards from one side to the other side at full speed and then break into your you know route over the course of the play. Like just from a selfish wide receiver point of view, it's a lot easier to buy. Hey, I only need to run really hard for five yards before we start this play. Yeah, and I mean he's—they're already using it like a, you know, like arena football. Like it's a—he—it's yeah. it, a running start, and it's awesome, and it's—and it kind of makes you shake your head to go like, how did I not think of that before? Right. So even just using motion, I mean, so the the battle between um, football guys and nerds, you know, it's uh, the nerds will research something and say motion has higher EPA run more motion, and it's like you know the football guys, oh, you don't know football, you don't know what I'm setting up and all that stuff, but. It does sound overly simplistic, but why don't teams use more motion? Just generally, motion in general, even before you get into the specifics, you know, where do you see that balance? It seems like there are certain things offensive play callers can use, just using more play action, just using more motion. 
why why are some offensive coordinators unable to do that and make that adjustment when it seems like some of these things are, are such cheat codes? Uh, I can definitely tell you that it certainly can go to the far side too much really quickly. And yeah. so I've been in offenses where I've asked for less motion. And I'll, the reason why is because if you're making pass protection declarations, and so we're pointing out who the line's going to, and then we motion and they adjust, well, am I snapping the ball in the motion? Or are we redeclaring? Am I now hot off someone else? And so making sense of that communication can be a real issue in pass protection and the run game. And so you have to have these like baked-in rules. Essentially, you have to have a system built to handle those kinds of motions. So it can be very, uh, you know, I think you can get away with it a little bit easier if you're in the wide zone world because it's less about, hey, I'm going to this guy or this combination and more, hey, I'm taking these steps. Am I covered, uncovered? We're going, running to space. So it can be kind of how you're connected to the system. But I can, I certainly have been places where I'm like, hey, man, let's just go Peyton Manning old school, two by two, three by one. Let me see what the defense is they never and moved. get into it. And yeah. sometimes you can see a good example for like evidence of this is sometimes when a quarterback is struggling, you'll see teams go two minute, like in the middle of a quarter and be like, oh, we just need to get into a rhythm. Well, things are cleaner. You're running your base stuff. There's, there is no additional motion part of it. But if you are going to scheme people up and have like run it runs where there are no checks and it's good versus everything, well then yeah, let's let's shift motion, you know, double motion. I think that's the other thing you see now. You see people shift motion, motion now all the time. And it's it's just baked into the process where back in the day, you know, you go into the wide receiver room and say, Hey, uh, we're gonna have you shift across the formation and then we're gonna have you run this motion behind the quarterback. We're gonna need you to run fifty yards and you're just our runoff. Yeah. You know, good luck with that. You know, try that a couple times at practice, and then we'll see you on Sunday. You know, that's just not going to fly. That's going to piss everybody off. But now it's baked into these systems, and they can see the advantage of what it does to the run game, to the play-action world, to your system. But you have to be able to take advantage of it, and it has to be for a reason. I think that's the thing. If coordinators and teachers and coaches go into these meetings and explain why we're doing it, and then it works, and you see it, and then then everybody's bought in. But if we're just running to run or we're running and we're screwing up the lines blocking, well, then we've got all sorts of issues. That's a fast way to piss off centers. Do you, do you have a favorite run game I mean, or run style or system? To me, it's fascinating to me that Peyton always ran that super wide zone and it felt like this was the run game that, wanted, that needed to be attached to one of the best quarterbacks of all time because he loved to run play action off of it. And then you have a Brady that was more – gap run scheme and they you know run that little over route to Gronk behind him and everything so it's just interesting to me that these quarterbacks you know they're going to pass the ball more than they're going to run but they had completely different run schemes do you have a, a favorite or one that do you think works best with a high level quarterback uh not, not really I mean at the league level I don't think it necessarily matters I, I can tell you for sure at the lower levels I love coaching gap runs they're way easier to coach oh yeah uh, I think they're more fun for the offensive linemen too to just be able to get double teams and, and those types of things and move yeah. people at the line of scrimmage. I think the the wide zone world is uh, it's it's really difficult to coach at a high level, at lower levels. And so trying to do that, unless you really know where the bones are buried, is going to be really difficult. But man, the the downhill run game of a gap run is, is pretty sweet. Are we re reaching this strange world now where people like Patrick Mahomes and a handful of other quarterbacks in the NFL have changed the grading curve so much that like what you're trying to achieve when you go get a new quarterback, when you draft Bryce Young number one overall, when you, you know, go after a Caleb Williams or whatever in the draft, the bar has been set so high now that there are these guys who 
can just invalidate almost every rule you thought you knew. Like some of the things that Patrick Mahomes does every single week, and he's not alone. I mean, Josh Allen, capable of it, Justin Herbert, we talked about before we went on the show. Like they're capable of doing such ridiculous things, and they're doing them regularly almost without the downside that Brett Favre brought to it, right? Brett Favre did a lot of this stuff as well, but it always came with, you know, a higher than ideal number of, oh, Brett, no, too far, too far. Um, have we reached this level now where these guys have just changed where the standard is? Probably. I think the other part that is easy, uh, there's probably some sort of bias that I can't recall, like recency bias element of it. But there have always been a separation of guys at the quarterback position at the highest level. It's just the position, those guys playing it didn't didn't do the things that the guys at the top now are yeah. doing as far as the playmaking, the creativity, the out of structure, and the arm strength. But I you think know, nobody nobody can close their eyes and think, man, if Peyton Manning was playing nowadays, he'd be out there looking like Patrick Mahomes or Caleb Williams. It's just right. not the way that the position was played. But there are so many better athletes playing quarterback. That's the thing. Like growing up, the best athlete plays quarterback now. Well, that was never the case 20 years ago. You know, you're you're playing tailback, you're playing middle linebacker. But those guys are all the quarterback. And so now you've got this great athleticism at the position and you kind of layer that into how offense has changed and the rules have become a little bit more quarterback friendly. And now you do have these opportunities for these guys to go out there and make these crazy plays seemingly all the time. But yeah, it, it's not necessarily fair to lump everyone into the category of what those top guys are able to do just athletically. It's it's you know, not everybody can do that. Yeah, I guess that's the thing that's sort of interesting. It's not that a guy like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady won't wouldn't still be a great quarterback if they came into the NFL tomorrow. You know, those guys are, are clearly amazing and arguably the two greatest quarterbacks that have ever played. But I, I kind of always felt for the last, you know, however many years that eventually a guy that could do what they could do with athleticism would automatically add something to the table, right? They're bringing something that Tom Brady and Peyton Manning can't do on top of what they're they're already great at this sort of the pocket passing cerebral part of the game it feels like we finally found a collection of those players now for you know Rodgers maybe was one of those guys for a while but now that's almost the standard that you need to be the great quarterback now all these guys are mobile all these guys can make plays out of structure in a way that Brady and Manning didn't ever really do or didn't have the capacity to do so it's almost like we've reached just this new level like the standard has gone up higher because we've tapped into this extra layer of potential that was never quite there for those guys i mean i think that's fair i think the other thing to to maybe mention is the game has evolved to allow those things to be more prominent and what i mean by that is as it gets more spready the game is spread out where you're allowed to make those plays a little bit more consistently back in the day you know when you're it's more in the pocket everything is you know timing rhythm where now it's a little bit more air ready we're running to space where you know the creative element is baked into the process where i think aaron you know aaron was just world class before it was common to kind of create out a structure and have those crazy arm angles and he had the arm strength and the pinpoint accuracy and he didn't turn the ball over yeah. like he was uh, you know ahead of the curve on so many of those things where now all those guys watched aaron you know, those are that's the type of thing that they're trying to replicate, and you just see the game continue to grow and evolve in that same kind of lane. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Final word on Tua here today, because Dolphins fans, like I, I tweeted the other day, Tua's playing well, and his weapons and scheme are out of this world. And that was an insult. 
because I didn't say two is the best quarterback of all time. And I'm just trying to say the scheme and the playmakers, the speed that you're talking about, are out of this world. Like, I've never seen anything like it. And also, two is playing extremely well. So where do you stand on this so the Tua fans can uh, come after you? I mean, this is the great thing and the terrible thing about this kind of YouTube content world is that, you know, my receipts are out there with this stuff. And so I, I've been a Tua fan from a, for a long time. I love, and this is just me anecdotally, I love to see anticipation from quarterbacks, probably because that was one of the things that I felt like I could do. It doesn't matter about your arm strength. You know, if you can anticipate, it shows a number of different things as far as your understanding, your football IQ, the scheme, the details, the nuance, all that type of stuff. And there is nobody better than Tua right now at anticipating where to go with the ball. And when you couple that with all those things that you talked about and the accuracy, I just think it's so much fun to see. And, okay, you can say all those great things about it, and you can acknowledge that every game he's going to underthrow someone that's wide open down the field. <laughs> and so it, it can be all of the above. You know, hopefully he finds a way to, to hit those deep shots all the time, but no one's going to hit all your throws all the time. But you can't turn on the film and take away those kind of long foul balls or air balls. It's just it's it, it, you can enjoy all the good stuff and acknowledge that you know we're going to come up short on a couple greens. It does seem like that mesh though of Tua, Mike McDaniel, the speed that they've accumulated. It is a perfect marriage of like the quick processing, the anticipation you're talking about with Tua. The entire Miami Dolphins offense looks like it's listening to a podcast on double speed. I mean, it's it, it really is a whole different level of quickness and speed and defenses just they're not ready for it for the most part right now so it is fun to watch right now in miami yeah, um, it's just a, it's for me the thing that the thing that i think it's hard because we're in it and i've already mentioned it but it's week three right you know like like let's see what it looks like after thanksgiving not or, this, or just you know, in, like, or just again in buffalo this week yeah, <laughs> it's a good exactly. against a really good i mean defense. and it's not going to be perfect the whole season no one expects it to be 70 burgers every week but you just want to see it be sustainable. And I, I, I want to see it sustainable just a fan of Tua, a fan of the position. I think it's awesome. But at the same time, I'm enough. I'm not naive enough to know that could you do that? Like, will it look like that in the rain? Will it look like that in the cold in the playoffs? I don't know. Like They could certainly run the ball like that. But everything slows down. Everything is just different. And so I'm sure they have a plan. It's not like I'm you know throwing out these new variables that they haven't thought about in the building. But like, what will it look like? And we can we can acknowledge the fact that we have questions and celebrate what it is right now because right now it's awesome. I know that you've looked at it a little bit. Um, people are talking about the clear number one overall pick next year being Caleb Williams, and some of the comparisons out there for him are fairly wild. Do you have an early read on how good he is? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with all of those things. <laughs> you know, I I, I I I think everybody hesitates to compare anybody to Patrick Mahomes. When it comes to that, but that's obviously the easy comparison. Uh, I just personally love to watch him play because he's so creative, he's so dynamic, and I really like that offense. Like I've always loved that offense. I love how they use counter and gap runs, and you know what they do creatively with the Lincoln Riley stuff. I'm obviously a Southern California guy, so regional issues as well. But I just he spins it. I've seen him spin it in person. It jumps off of his hand. It, looks it really ridiculous. does. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where I don't think you know how well he throws it until sometimes you see these guys throw it in person, and he really does jump off of his hand as well. And so when you layer all those things together, you know, it's you know, for for me, I know that there are a lot of people who really like Drake May, and I think Drake May does some really cool things. To me, it has been and probably will be, you know, Caleb Williams the entire way, and you know, we'll just see where he decides to go. You know, that 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 will be as 
as much of a story, I think, as anything, as far as you know how he kind of John Elway's this thing or Eli yeah. Manning's this thing potentially. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, 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 I also hesitate on any Mahomes or you know <laughs> comparison because Mahomes has had success too. It's not like he just has tools; he's had incredible success. But Caleb Williams has all those tools, very similar style. Even the weaknesses when, you know, wanting to play out of structure, maybe like Mahomes did in college, and it's like, well, Mahomes fixed that at the NFL level, right? He could do both. Um, so those are kind of question marks, but I'm with you, man. Caleb Williams looks ridiculously special. Um, I just I wanted to touch on Jordan Love real quick, what you've seen from him and the Packers so far through three weeks. I mean, what I've seen is LaFleur just come into his own. I mean, the play calling down there, I think when you turn on the Packers film, the first thing I notice is just, I mean, they're, they're, they, they're popping guys open. Like, I mean, it's it's one thing. I, I think no one ever really knew, you know, who was necessarily pulling the strings there as far as with, when Aaron was in the building. And, you know, you're certainly going to do what Aaron wants to do and what he's comfortable doing. But it looks different. And so I, I think it, it, the idea that him coming into his own as a play caller, that system, and what Jordan Love has done really not anywhere close to fully healthy on with the, that entire offense to be able to come in there and operate at a high level. I think if you squint, you know, there are certainly some mannerisms that look a lot like 12 used to look at that position there. And so him being able to take some of Aaron's game, as far as the rhythm, the timing, the cadence that he plays with and be able to, to layer that into Jordan love being able to run a little bit, had some big scrambles, uses legs, you know, all those things to me have been really encouraging. It hasn't been perfect by any means, but man, I, I think if you're in Green Bay, you have to be excited about what it looks like and certainly what LaFleur looks like being able to scheme things open. With all the youth too, all first and second year pass catchers. And you know how, you know, how long it takes sometimes just to get timing down and it, with one, you know, young receiver, you're doing it with all of them, right? And that is, that has been impressive to me with uh, the Green Bay passing attack so far. Um, and I think you just released a Justin Herbert video. We were talking off air really quick, and I know sometimes you forget exactly what you've done. That was like when we used to grade games, right? We'd spend eight hours grading a game here at PFF, and I didn't know what happened, right? I just put all the numbers in at the end of the day. Who played well? I don't know. Let me look at the grades. Um, but Justin Herbert's game against the Minnesota Vikings was one of the wildest films I've ever watched because every down felt like third down. They're in the gun. They're in spread. The Vikings are throwing eight guys up on the line of scrimmage, blitzing like crazy, and it looks like every every down was third down. What did you see from Herbert, the Chargers' offense against that Vikings defense last Sunday? I mean, Justin Herbert is – he really – I know we've already talked a lot about kind of the top-tier guys in the league at the position, but when you turn on the Justin Herbert film, he has a throw, I want to say comfortably every quarter, but it feels like every series where you're just like, wow, bro. Like, did that – did you really just do that? Like, it's an odd – like the audacity to even attempt it. And he is ripping these things across across the field, the wide side, outside the numbers. The one throw where he was like third and forever late in the game and he threw the backside in after he like scrambled off to the left and he just makes it look like nonchalant. Like it's like, a, it, it really feels like a video game glitch where the ball just ends up at the wide receiver and you're like, that, that that's a throw you're supposed to like, like have significant touch and supposed to be like, you got to let that thing go. He throws a laser and you're just like, Wow. And he was able to do that versus the the pressure that Minnesota was bringing. He had answers. The thing I, I, that got lost in my video a little bit is they use so many like horizontal screens too, so that you know they're they're spread. They're using the width of the field right. to kind of create these opportunities to then take these vertical shots. Eventually, I think that's what everybody wanted to see with Herbert. Eventually, these shots down the field, 
And I think as he gets more comfortable with that and what that looks like, and they continue to use the width of the field, I mean, the the one of, probably the best play call of that game was the double pass that Herbert's not even really a part of, but because they'd done so many bubble screens or swing screens that you know he could have that uh, Keenan Allen couldn't thrown it to either guy was wide open. He could have punted it to him, and so it was seeing the scheme start to match Herbert's skill strength, I think is probably the most exciting things for Chargers fans. Yeah, I, m- I might have a little inside knowledge on it, but I'm pretty sure that the interview process for the next offensive coordinator for the Chargers was like, how are we going to get the ball down the field? doesn't mean you're just chucking it blindly, but to your point, like you're setting it up, right? You're using the entire level of the field so that instead of Herbert taking two shots a game, it's five, six, or seven, and you're using that arm. But um, I feel like I've never seen the carry on the ball that he has from any other quarterback. Not just, I, I don't know how you separate velocity from carry. Baseball does it with spin rate, but the carry on the ball is what you described on that third and long. Like, it just gets there. Like, there's no yeah. velocity loss on Herbert's throws. I feel like that's the best I've ever seen when it comes to that specific trait. It, it's very uh, it's very javelin-ish to me. That's how I think yeah. of it. I've played catch with enough guys who throw it really well to just when you catch it, you're like, either it's spinning more, like the laces hurt you, or it's like trying to catch like a medicine ball. You're like, God, like, oh, that's different. Like, yep. it just looks different when it comes off of his hand. And he's able to create uh, the, the thing I would add with Herbert that I think makes it unique to watch him is he he's obviously, a, he seems like he's a very sharp guy. Like, there's not a lot of what I would classify as turndowns or misses on like the short intermediate stuff that he's very comfortable with. But when you turn on some opportunities down the field, I can think of the one throw to Keenan Allen early in the game on the right side. He ripped like a whole shot. It looked like like a deep out or like a circus route. He ripped it. And it was a beautiful throw, a really a beautiful throw right over the corner's hands. But when you turn on the all 22, you see the middle field open and a guy running to the post for a touchdown. And you're just like, dog, if we're ripping that throw, why not throw it to the guy who everybody's trying? You know, everybody is attacking the middle of the field when the middle of the field's open. Like it's right there. Just throw that. So just making sense of those types of things for me has always been difficult with Herbert film. That goes all the way back to you know what they were asking him to do at Oregon. Right. I think those types of things have always just been kind of the layering kind of bones of me being like, you know, gosh, it just doesn't, sometimes it feels like it could be easier than it has to be. Sometimes he makes it a little bit more difficult than it has to be, and he's got the arm to and the talent to make up for it. But when you turn on the film and you're like, oh, man, that was a missed opportunity, missed opportunity, where now at least he's getting those opportunities down the field more. Said a different way, I'm going to say that slightly differently. One of our questions coming into the season is he's been in two different systems, and just looking at a simple stat like average depth of target where he's been in the bottom five to eight for three straight years while owning this cannon for an arm, I wanted to know, how is that him or was it the scheme, right? You could criticize the scheme the last couple of years, absolutely, but how much of that is him? And it's interesting that that's kind of like what you're saying. Like, is he not ripping those when he should be, and will Kellen Moore be able to get that out of him for the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a fair question. The, the other thing that, and it's always hard, right, for like for these kind of conversations is we don't know what their number one read is. You know, every team reads some of these plays differently, and it's hard to make sense of it. But it's for me, it's just encouraging the fact that he is ripping it down the field a little bit more. It sure seems like it's there, and he's certainly got the talent to do that. Last uh, quick question before we let you get out of here. Who is your favorite quarterback in the league right now? So it's just a watch. It doesn't have to be for any particularly good reason, but – Whose tape would you go to first it's just for Tua. entertainment value? It's Tua. Uh I I heard the whispers. No, <laughs> I, I would I would say by far over the year over the kind of arc of my channel, it's Patrick Mahomes. I think he's he's by far the most 
fun guy to watch. I think it's been fascinating to see him kind of evolve his game in real time over the last like half decade. Yep. I think it really, I I think it goes kind of under the radar how much it has changed and how he still stayed at this high level and still has the the kind of strong the strengths are still the strengths while he's able to adapt and move what they do and who he does it with. Uh, I I think selfishly. You know, it was it used to be guys like Breeze and a little bit like Tua, just because those are that's a little bit more of like my arm talent, you know, as far <laughs> as just like replicable. Yeah. You know, I think it's sometimes it's a little bit like I don't necessarily love watching guys who have, you know, who can throw the javelin across the field because I could never do that. Right. And so it's hard to say like, especially if I'm like if half some of what I enjoy doing is like trying to educate younger quarterbacks and be like, Hey, try to do it like this, like, well, Good luck trying to do it like Josh Allen or Justin Herbert. You know, they just those guys throw it different. I I really along those lines, I really wanted to see Kellen Moore as an NFL starter for an extended period of time. I really believe he could have done it. That would have been the, to me the most extreme example of like making the most of the middle school arm. Um, somebody asked me, JT asked who the better pitcher was. Did you pitch back in the day? Was that an, a real question? Oh, what? you were definitely the better pitcher than I was. Okay. I, I was I was more of a thrower. Okay. But and yeah, you, and you was, didn't have a great arm, apparently, so I don't know how well that worked. I was a decent – I was a pretty good hitter. I'm not going to lie. Okay. There are very few things I do better than hit a baseball or a softball. Nice. Mm. That's good. That's a fun skill. That's a fun skill to have. Well, you've given us a ton of time. JT O'Sullivan, really appreciate you joining us. Tell everybody where they can go get educated right here on YouTube. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to come visit y'all. My kind of home hub is the, the quarterback school on YouTube, but it kind of – beers out from there do a little patreon thing do a little i'll do a number of courses as well and so if you enjoy how i kind of talk and teach ball it's a uh, it's fun over there i really get a kick out of it well we appreciate having you hopefully we'll have you back again talk more draft or you know nfl quarterbacks maybe we'll we'll see whenever whenever you can come back we'd love to have you so right, appreciate it fellas thanks yeah so thanks much. for joining us jt all right that was awesome yeah no it was a fun conversation it was I apologize to our uh, viewers. I was looking at the wrong camera the entire time. <laughs> I'm over there staring at the at the solo cam yeah. selfishly instead of the hard cam. Well, look, you're used to you know you're the star of this show. I need yeah. my I need my close. I thought I was getting the solo the whole time. Mm-hmm. No, nope. uh, man, that was as expected. That was fun. I could talk for hours with uh, JT O'Sullivan. Be sure to go follow him, QB School on YouTube, as he said. Go to the Patreon. He's got a little extra stuff there as mm-hmm. always. But. Um, Anything stand out that was interesting? You know, he deals with the same questions we have. What's yeah. game? What's quarterback? You know? And and it was interesting how many of his answers were things that we've kind of covered before. You know, how yeah. close in lockstep we are at viewing some of the same things. You know, he said some of the the stuff about Justin Fields was the same. He's either not seeing it or he doesn't trust himself when he is seeing it. Um, there were a lot of similar answers, but it, it's interesting. I I thought his answer of um, you know what he's taken from great quarterbacks that he's been around was was interesting like he's seen it kind of as a coach like i'm going to try and take the best elements from each one of these guys whereas there are other people out there <laughs> i'll say not to name names but it doesn't work without naming it dan orlovsky dan orlovsky is great at what he does but dan orlovsky talks about matthew stafford the way idolizing younger brothers talk about their <laughs> bigger brother you know like clearly Matthew Stafford, by direct comparison to Dan Orlovsky in the same offense, looked like a walking god. Consequently, Dan Orlovsky views Matthew Stafford as a walking god that can do no wrong. Like, that's how he interprets the game, is through the lens of, hey, 
Matthew Stafford is how it should be, right? Because standing on the sideline watching Matthew Stafford, I was in awe. Whereas JT is looking at these guys like Brett Favre and Tom Brady and like, what can I take? Like a little piece of each one of these guys. But also saying, I can't do what right. Brett Whilst, Favre yeah, does. Exactly. Right? Whilst also being like, that's unrealistic. That shouldn't be our standard here. Let's try and take the best from each just, one of them. Just because Brett Favre can rip a 25-yard dig and I can't do it doesn't, right. you know, I mean, he's great, but, you know, I don't have to lean into that so mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting and then um, the fact that he uses turnover worthy play we appreciate that he uses my terminology um, also a quick reminder we're back for another week of football and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day new customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner DraftKings isn't stopping there though all customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. So football is more fun when you're in on the action. Download the app now and sign up with code PFF. New customers can bet just $5 to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. All right, so um, JT. I wonder if uh, your ad read at the start of the show, you know, I wonder if the secret to the perfect read is to just try and rattle through it as fast as possible. You nailed it. I was like 1.5 speed. It was perfect. I felt pressure because I felt like... Maybe you're a pressure player. I don't know if I did that properly. Like I didn't even introduce our guest. Uh. I went right into the ad read. I felt rude. It was like I invited somebody into my home and I'm like, sorry, I got something to do first before I I even... It's probably better than saying, hey, welcome in, JT. Now, if you'll just take a seat, I got to talk to you about... Our, our friends. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, hopefully I guess, he signed up. I don't know if there's a clean way of doing it, but I don't know if I, I feel like that's a better answer than saying, hey, take a seat for a minute while I read this. <laughs> I was I was feeling the pressure and I wanted to get through it. So, I, you know, he wasn't waiting. Should I tell the story about the podcast I was on yesterday and there I'd read? Uh, I'm sure. I mean, so I haven't heard this story. So you I, did. So I texted it to you it. while it was happening. I was on a locked on podcast and midway through the my segment, you know, they start doing an ad read about uh, hair follicle treatment, hair rescue oh, therapy, that's, or whatever. Bald, yeah. It's yeah. a bald thing, right? I'm like, is this is this a shot? Am I getting trolled here? They're just you trying know? to get they're trying to get somebody to sign up. Now look, figure. if it was a troll, it was masterful. <laughs> I mean, I can't even be mad at that. It was genius if that oh, was deliberate. Great. They were saving it for that. Alternatively, they just accidentally read out a, an ad about bald treatments to a bald guy. We'll use it for Sam. I love it. That's great. Yeah. Good times, man. Uh, JT's got a very soothing voice, too. So I, when you're listening Calm to those... and measured. Yeah. yeah. Like, when you're listening to those videos... That's why the Bears ones are hilarious, because he gets a little fired up. You know, he starts, you know, cussing a little bit. Have you seen the numbers on those, man. by the way, in the, his channel? The numbers are insane. He's doing, like, you know, twenty to 70,000 on, on a given video, and then he talks Justin Fields, like, 300K. Like, Bears fans are just hate-watching right. this like, thing. If his Robert channel... Mays is over there like, I'm doing it again, I'm going in, I'm going in to watch the breakdown of everything that's terrible. If his channel was nothing other than Justin Fields' breakdowns, he'd already be at like 7 million subscribers. And uh, so, QB School has done, I mean, they've, they've grown incredibly since the beginning of the season. And yeah. JT's just cranking videos out. And, and it's, again, you know, he, as he said, he's like... What are the hottest topics? People want to see Tua. People want to know what's wrong with Fields. And he's getting in there and breaking it down, and and it's uh, it's really good. No, his numbers are off the charts. They're they're skyrocketing at the moment. It's good content. Like everybody, I think everyone agrees. You go and listen to that guy's stuff. You're gonna a be smarter, but it's entertaining as well. It's well worth watching. What else here, man? What do you think? Wrap it up. Yeah, 
I think so. It's a good show. Yeah. I'm being dragged in the chat relentlessly in this show. For what? Everything, apparently. Oh, wow. Just being a, being a drag on the show. Being the thing, the anchor around this show. I thought you did a good job. I thought you asked some good questions. It's a little unfortunate if that's the I way mean, you I feel. I asked what his favorite run game was, <laughs> favorite run concept. It wasn't like I was uh, carrying this thing. I'm just saying, if this if that's your take, that I'm the anchor around this show, it's it's unfortunate since I'm co-hosting five days a week of it. Yeah. You know, you at least, if you don't like Steve, if you hate Steve, you yeah, at least you get Trevor out of two days a yeah, week. You can get out of it. Or you get Trevor and Brad. If you hate me, you're struggling. Yeah, you might be in trouble. Yeah. Well, tell your friends. Keep telling people to come see this episode, to subscribe to JT's channel, and keep joining us. So tomorrow we'll be previewing every game. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Week four. Week four? Week four NFL preview. That's tomorrow. And thanks to JT O'Sullivan for joining us today. Thanks to everybody for joining us live on YouTube, listening in podcast land. Um, One last thing. If you downloaded the podcast on Monday, there was a technical issue with the first download of our podcast. So if you're seeing um, some skipping in the first 30, 40 minutes, it repeated itself. It repeated itself. 20 minutes in, it restarted. Redownload the podcast. There was a download issue. So Monday's review podcast, it should be a full two and a half or so hours. We touched on every game. If you're not hearing that, you have an issue and you have to re-download. And if you're listening on Spotify, you're not because apparently it didn't go to Spotify. Austin Gale is (laughs) screwing us over again. Whatever he's doing at Spotify, he's not letting us have our numbers and it's, it's killing us. Management is upset that our numbers are down and it's all because Spotify didn't show up. Screwing us again. So um, we're just venting right now. Mm -hmm. It's time to go though. We'll see you tomorrow previewing NFL week four.